right now close your eyes and think of a happy place you are about to experience the powershell podcast the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to PowerShell podcast. I'm co-host Jordan, along with the man, the myth, the legend, Andrew Plaw. Thanks, everyone. I, I owed you after last week. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe you haven't done that one yet, to be honest. I probably have. I don't keep you know, track. I As, thought I did. Let's, let's go into First, we have news of PDQ. Yeah, the 2024 State of SysAdmin survey is out, and we'd love your input. Last year, we surveyed over 1,000 IT pros to understand salaries, popular IT tools, cybersecurity trends, and the one true pronunciation of GIF. Maybe I said it wrong right there. But uh, take our survey. There's going to be a link in the bio, and it just helps us give us some better insights and makes our report that we produce at the end better. So appreciate your input, sysadmins. I like it. Now, now enough of uh, free marketing for PDQ. Let's talk about PowerShell news. There's some some big news on the 20s. Like earlier this month, they've been pretty uh, busy with releasing new things. So what do we have, Jordan? We got the... PowerShell 7.4 release candidate. Nice. As well as they did release 7.3.9, I think is a, I don't want to say stable version because they're all stable, but. Yeah, an actual release of it. So new version to get for you. Um, and there's definitely want to check out the rundown for this, for the 7.4 preview. I think when we talked to some engineer recently, they told us there's going to be some cool stuff in it that's worth checking out. Filing issues and feedback if you see something. Um Awesome news for the PowerShell world. And last one, they have updated the PowerShell plugin for VS Code. There's yeah. Blog by Sydney Smith out there. Awesome. All right, enough of our nonsense. Let's get to the let's get to the meat, the yes. star. I'm excited. All right, today we have principal product manager Merrill Fernando. Ooh, that is a as a nice title. Hey folks, how are you doing? So you are the principal product manager for Entra. Yes, that's right. I'm a part of the team that's called the CAT team, uh, customer acceleration team, but we are part of the overall engineering team. Okay, because I looked at a lot of your projects and a lot of them seem geared towards educating the admins on getting better and actually making good use of the features and kind of keeping track of where things are. Um, is that sort of the space you're in connecting with yeah. customers? And that's right. I, uh, I work with a few enterprise customers. That's part of my day job. And my goal is to make them deploy Microsoft Entra in within the organization, basically make the best use of what they've already paid for. Um, so that's my day job. But what I realized is, there are lots of customers across the globe who don't have this sort of um, special connection with Microsoft, uh, like those large enterprises. So um, I took it upon myself to start sharing some of those things with with the wider community. Cool. Very helpful to see the community-oriented approach. Absolutely. I mean, community always wins, and <laughs> there's a lot more that I can learn from the community. I learn a lot from my customers, and 
there's a lot we take back in and that's half of my role is to take this customer community feedback into the product group make sure we're building the right thing um, for our customers very cool and what were you doing before you were working on the Entra team? So I was a new hire into Microsoft. I uh, used to lead a team for, I used to work for a company called Telstra in Australia. They are a big telecom ISP. Um, so I was leading the team that rolled out Microsoft 365 back in 2014 uh, in Australia, which was new to Australia at that time. Um, and I, I've been part of that team or, throughout that period. And before that, it was more being a solution architect, building .NET apps, writing code. That's where my, um, I have the most fun. <laughs> and then you saw a PM role at Microsoft and you thought you wanted to take your expertise? So funnily enough, my uh, my manager here who at, at Microsoft, I worked with him at Telstra, and uh, when a role opened up, he asked me if uh, I'd be interested. And he actually had to convince me that the role was good <laughs> because personally, I used to be an Intune person um, at uh, Telstra more of, and I was like, what's, it was Azure AD at the time. So I went to him like, what's there in Azure AD? It's just login page. Like, <laughs> why, why do you need this whole role um, to help customers? But um, like, as I mentioned before, uh, in some posts earlier, the joke's on me because I now run a weekly newsletter, Entra.news, where I talk about new features coming into Entra every single week. And there's always almost like some new feature we are dropping every new week. Yeah, we've talked about this before on the podcast, Jordan, where like if you're going to get proficient at some product, you need to get tapped into communities. You need to identify useful resources to keep up with things. Um, and it sounds like that's really the space you're in for Entra is lots of very useful resources. If people are administering the product and they want to keep up with things, they need to be following you, checking out Entra News and a lot of the other resources that we're going to cover later on in the podcast. Yes, absolutely. There's so much news coming. And what I personally like is seeing the community content. Like I'm I'm always aware of what Microsoft is publishing, what we are going to publish from a product perspective. but it's very different when people start using it and how they start using it. And when we have all the different MVPs and IT admins who actually use it and then write their experience about it, what they've learned, that's where the sort of the rubber hits the road. And that's where I learn quite a lot about the features that we are building and what, what I can take from that and how we can help a lot more other customers scale those things. So that's, Part my my um, weekly newsletter. That's just like five percent to ten percent. That's Microsoft content that I share. But the majority of what I include is all of the community contributions that uh, touch on Entra, or Graph, PowerShell, or Graph in some way. And um, I, I learn quite a lot from those folks. Yeah, you do. You do a pretty good job. I'll definitely say that. Um, and slight pivot, but on the similar topic of keeping track of Entra, I want to talk about your ID Power Toys product or project, um, and in particular the Microsoft Entra mind map, because to me that sort of helps flush out what Entra is. So, what is uh, ID Power Toys? 
So ID Power Toys is sort of like my spin on Power Toys on identity related things. So I call it ID Power Toys before the whole Microsoft Entra, Entra ID rename, but I was, I actually at least got the ID part, <laughs> right? <laughs> two, two letters. Um, so my uh, plan with that was to sort of build some tools that people can use. Uh, I haven't done much except for the mind map uh, which was which sort of went viral. Like so many people loved it when I first published it. Um, I got the AJD mind map at the beginning. Uh, so with ID Power Toys, I my plan was to build a bunch of power user tools for Entra, Entra ID that folks can use, which is outside of um, what we have in the product. There are always lots of um, differences that people start to put into use and. I don't know if you uh, heard of AD Internals PowerShell. There's a PowerShell module called AD Internals by our friend, Dr. He, he's Dr. Ashley on Twitter. Um, lots of awesome tools that he builds, which basically um, give you a lot of power user capabilities, right? And it helps uh, the various threat researcher teams understand and learn and protect uh, Azure AD. So I saw what he did. He has a website as well, adinternals.com, where he has a bunch of tools to um, do some reverse engineering about domains and learn about the um, Microsoft Entra domain. So I wanted to build something for people to, for admins who would need to, who are struggling with some of these things. So one big part of ID Powertoys is the conditional access documenter that I've built, which basically goes into your Microsoft tenant the Azure conditional access policies, you need to click on multiple blades to understand just one policy. So with that, what I've built is a way to just generate a PowerPoint illustration of your conditional access policy for admins. Um, so they can just quickly visualize the policy and maybe explain it to cybersecurity teams and so on. So that's uh, one part of it. And the mind maps were uh, the other one, which uh, sort of I housed them over there. Um, and I built the mind map for me to get a good, like a mental view, like a visual view that I can easily remember. I'm, I'm sort of a visual person and I try to simplify things into visual diagrams and that helped me. And I thought, I'm sure most other, others would find it helpful as well. And <laughs> I love the efficiency, right? If you're going to develop a resource and have to learn something, you may as well put a bit more effort, polish it up a little bit and share it with others because that can lead to so much more good stuff. And you're just using the same base level of effort. You're just having to kind of learn it and teach it to yourself. And now you have this resource where other people can learn from it and you can refer back to it. And I love to see that approach. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's just a little bit effort you need to put in, maybe a 20% to oh, what, like most of everything I've built was for me at the end of the day, like the tools I build all the time. I started out as something that I want to use and then I, put in the extra sort of 20% effort to say, let me publish it out so others can find it useful. I think that's a, a common result for most of the awesome modules or tools that's out there is you build it for yourself. And it's like, well, if I liked it, maybe someone else will. Exactly, yes.
I think it's a differentiator for people's careers. Once they start putting in that extra amount of effort to really do things the proper way, and once they get in tune with that, I think it really increases what they're able to do with their careers and with learning, with the influence they have on others and are able to help. So it's it's cool to see. That's one thing I noticed throughout my journey of like, not knowing anything in IT and then like slowly getting involved in PowerShell more and meeting some people who do things the right way and all that was that like at a certain level, you just have to engage with the community and share things and, and be learning openly sort of. Exactly. Like most, and I've had that fear as well. Like the peer, the fo folks I work with, they know a lot more about Microsoft Entry than me. And you always had this and, and my customers, uh, like people think I know a lot about ID, but I have customers who know things about ID that don't that like I I don't know because they've actually used it and they've hit the ceiling, the boundaries on on various different features. Right, it's uh, such a vast thing, and you always have this fear like somebody else will know better than me. Somebody else will point out something you know I made a mistake on, but I think you being a going out in the open publishing you you learn those things right you if someone will comment and say hey what about this feature and um, then you learn something new that you probably should have known um, and i do that it happens to me all the time but if you keep that from like you know from you publishing something that you built you are the person who's sort of losing out in the end because you you are not really testing it out right um and you stand to gain a lot more like there are so many more people who don't know right like the folks who might know about something specific might be this one person two percent but they're like 90 percent of the folks who are just coming in new who would really find what you are doing helpful for them right that it would solve a problem that they might have hit for the first time so i would really encourage folks to just go out and share what they have put it out, put it out on GitHub. And I've been mentoring and helping folks, even in my team and my wider Microsoft team to share things, to like sort of put them out, publish things on GitHub. Um, because one thing I personally learned is when I worked at Telstra, I was sort of uh, let go. There was a reorg in the org and a lot of things that I built at that time, they were just gone. Like at the end of the day, you just have a resume and you put what you did there, but that's all you have, nothing much to show to the rest of the world. So even in that corporate life, you can take out things that you've done, simplify them, doesn't need to be the exact code, right? You can take out your corp specific things and just publish things in a generic way, right? So that, like I, I've written partial scripts that, you know, do a license report when I was at Telstra, but then I took out the specifics and just have, published the generic version of, hey, this script can get you this thing out. And which is like one of my other projects that I have, ak.ms slash graph samples, um, which is a repository for, for contributing PowerShell scripts related to graph. Because a lot for, for a lot of admins, um, GitHub and Git and source control is a bit uh, daunting for them. They can write a lot of PowerShell scripts. Uh, and like I know an admin I worked with, um, he used to just put everything in Dropbox. So he had this whole partial library with like complex modules he was written, but he just could never get his head around Git or like he, he wasn't exposed to it much. So 
he just put them all in a OneDrive folder. But there was so much wealth in there. Um, so I created it for this sort of audience where they can uh, go in, create a new discussion, just copy paste your script and share it. Just publish it out to the world. Earlier you mentioned, you said at first you're worried about, well, someone might know more than me. And it's important to know, and it doesn't matter who you are, it's almost a guarantee that someone out there knows more than you. The nice thing about the community is them knowing more than you doesn't mean that they're going to come in rude. More likely, they're going to come in with suggestions to help you learn more as well. So it's it's a, everyone benefits from it. Absolutely, exactly. Like there, are, in the first case, there are a lot more who will benefit who who don't know anything about the topic, and you might have a perspective. And the way you introduce things, you'll start from the basics, which maybe others might not. People who already know it, um, and from what I've discovered is there, there's always someone who knows, and they will sort of call you out if you make a mistake. But it's always in a way to improve what you do and. My response has been, if I can edit what I've already published, I'll say I'll, I've edited it and I've uh, like referenced them saying, thanks, this person for the call out. Um, or if something that I cannot publish, uh, edit, like I make a lot of uh, GIFs and JPEGs and publish things. And then it's hard for me to make those changes. But I do like in the comments include that note to say, you know, this uh, person suggested this. So it's um, like, you, you learn all the time. So that's, it's very helpful. The first time you go through that experience of doing things publicly, though, it is a little scary. But once you get past that, it's it's just another thing. So definitely make the efforts to post things publicly, share your work when you can, learn with others. It'll, it's always a good experience. Absolutely. And I'm looking at that. Um, it, what was the short URL for the MS yeah. Graph Discussions thing? ak.ms slash graph samples, samples, S-A-M-P-L-E-S. Right, graph samples. Um, I'm looking at that, and you know who I'm seeing in there, Jordan? I'm seeing Clayton. Yeah. Clayton yeah. Tiger, yeah. Dev Clayton, yeah. Clayton we had him awesome on. 365 automated oh, lab yeah. that he publishes, yep. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool stuff. Um, now, can we touch on another one of your projects? which is cmd.ms. All right, so we're talking about how many different parts of Onsher there are, and there's other parts of um, Azure. Can I call it Azure still? Yeah, there's other parts of Azure and, and all kinds of stuff, especially whenever I was doing more 365 stuff. Like, There's all these different portals and stuff. And how do you keep track of it all? It can be a little daunting at times. So what is cmd.ms? So cmd.ms came about when I was, I do a lot of demos to customers and I need to always like open up the conditional access blade or go to some obscure blade that does a password reset or something. And I find myself staring and clicking and sometimes the blades change and you need to click like five times to get to the like sort of a hidden blade somewhere. So I was thinking that should be a better way to, you know, do this. So we used to have this ak.ms slash, which is a Microsoft shortener. So it's only available to Microsoft employees to create those uh, short links. Um, so we had different links that take you to different portals in, in Microsoft and employees could do things. But usually someone has already taken those links like from marketing that points to a, like a, you know the product page and so on. Um, so getting into the admin portals, remembering each blade was hard. 
So I was like, that should be an easier way to do this. And so I came up with this and actually hacked it out over a weekend. Like um, I just saw the domain was available, cmd.ms. So just bought that and created this thing where you type in something.cmd.ms and it will take you to the actual portal for that. So whether it's on Azure, so for example, if you're on Azure, you need to go to the VM's blade where all the virtual machines are. You just type azvm cmd.ms. So I try to map the, all of the AZ ones to the CLI commands. So azvm and .cmd.ms, and you're basically in the blade where you can manage all the virtual machines or azrg for the resource groups. Um, so I just started building it out, and then I opened it out where the community can contribute, put in PR requests for their favorite shortcuts. Um, and so it just came out like um, a way to just open any browser, no extensions to install, just type that, and bam, you're into that particular blade, which might be four or five clicks down. Um, and it's been popular. I need to call out uh, that my fellow, my Australian, Adam, uh, has this msportals.io blade, which was there even before myself. He basically lists all of the different portals in, in one page, and you can search there and get to it. So he has a more sort of comprehensive list of all the different portals. Uh, mine is about just getting you into the specific blade, which is, you know, um, you, you're working on AZ AI. I think AZ AI for the open AI, Azure open AI stuff was the most recent one. Someone from the community uh, contributed something to the PR to add um, to cmd.ms. And looking at the, the the GIF you have in there, it looks like even if you just put AZ and then some letter, it will list below all of the potential ones. So even if you're not sure what the name is, it's still exactly. much, much easier to find. Yes. With the extension, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely, if you're in the 365 world, if you're using Entra, if you're using this stuff, check this out. It'll make your life a bit easier. Now, on the topic of Entra, before we move on to some more cool projects, there's a lot of people who are using Entra and these products and maybe aren't using them to the full extent despite maybe having licensing that allows them to use more features. What are your top two tips that if you could tell to a bunch of people who maybe don't listen to these podcasts or try and really take security seriously, what are two tips that you would give or two features they should look into enabling and setting up? I mean, there are heaps, but the one that I always go back um, that lots of customers struggle with, but once they enable it, it actually helps everyone is to enable MFA for all of the users and everywhere. So usually people try to exclude the local network and say, okay, if you're on the, you know, the LAN, you don't need to do MFA. Um, but it's actually the reverse. If you apply MFA everywhere, Microsoft, we do lots of things in on the Windows devices where we keep that MFA claim. So it's not like the users will see more prompts. They will actually see less prompts if you have a uniform MFA everywhere. Because even if you sign in on-prem, you have done MFA and your the claim that you have on your device has that tick that says this is an MFA claim. So even if you go out or come in, you will not see any prompt at all. And we try to do it so you are not prompted at least until your next password reset. Uh, so that people think it's a big uh, change, uh, but that's my one thing is to like turn on MFA. That's like sort of the basic turn on MFA everywhere as the first step. 
and uh, that gets you to uh, a whole secure level and next is to move to more of the passwordless so there's lots happening in the passwordless world even on the consumer side people are going to move to things called the pass keys that apple google everyone is championing i'm waiting for the day where i don't need to type in yet another password to yet another website um, pass keys will hopefully solve that where i can just use my icloud pass key uh, or my google pass key and sign in so you use the phone itself as a multi-factor passwordless way of signing in so that is um, like moving your users to hello for business is a huge thing where even if your password changes you don't get signed out of all of your apps like one of my uh, customers was telling me my password changed and usually for that whole day i need to be typing in my password into a bunch of different places uh, and on his windows device he didn't have to do anything that's because the password was never used to sign in, right? When you use Hello for Business, it's passwordless. So your password changing doesn't touch that claim at all. So your claim continuously lives on, which is more secure. So I, I will say this may be the first time I've been told that enabling MFA would lower some hurdles. <laughs> yes, you're using PC less prompts. And it's sort of like reverse, like <laughs> MFA everywhere should be more prompts. And I, I had one of my, another customer, they rolled out MFA everywhere and they came back like, we're seeing less prompts. No, no, that's like, uh, we, we need to see more prompts because that's what they were expecting and they, what they wanted to report out. And they were seeing less prompts for their users, the MFA, and they're like, no, something's wrong. Like uh, we we are seeing less prompts for our end users, and I said, like that's the benefit you get from putting and deploying MFA everywhere. And I think that's a good sell if you're able to go through and accomplish that for your company. If you communicate that properly to your business leaders and your IT leaders, it should be a pretty big victory for you, and can hopefully free you up to do other projects that'll increase your security posture, which benefits everybody. Yeah, there are industries where it's a little bit harder. Like when you have retail, you have this first line workers who work in the shop store. They can't do MFA, like they can't have a device. They can't, they're not allowed to take their phones to the shop floor, uh, right? So they need to leave it in their locker. So it's uh, challenging in a lot of those industries. Um, and the solutions like using a FIDO2 key are costly as well. So, um, that's uh, that's an industry that needs a bit of help where you can't just go and turn it on. Um, but a lot for co the corporate world, for the corporate employees who are going to work, that's an easy thing. They're already doing MFA in, in that space. So start start with that user base. It doesn't need to be the all or nothing as well. It doesn't need to be the whole company where it all makes sense. You can deploy and that will sort of improve the security. And as Microsoft we know this and we are pushing changes out to our customer tenants to basically raise the bar because no one tries to like some companies don't have an it admin team like a dedicated team so we try to raise the bar for them for all of our free tenants there's something called microsoft security defaults uh, where we basically enable mfa everywhere if you're if you create a new tenant it's it has mfa enabled by default so it's uh, we we sort of raise the bar from those default configurations. Yeah, whenever I think about the bigger security picture, um, I think that it requires things like that, like where the defaults of implementing a solution are secure and helpful, and you know working on that user experience. Because I've been using 
Azure for like 10 years or something like that. So quite a while. And to see it go from where it was to where it is, and uh, we can sort of see more of the more pieces coming together to be more uh, fluid. And I'm looking forward to seeing where things keep going because I think that type of thing can really increase the security posture, especially whenever I was doing some Sentinel stuff, like seeing how simple some of the rules were to implement. Like I could imagine someone who doesn't have to be dedicated to Sentinel could implement some of these things. And someone who's maybe not an ultra super security expert could maybe use some of these healthy defaults like you're talking about to get things started on the right foot so they don't have a big project in five years to re-communicate everything and convert everybody and just extra work. Well, also having them as a default is forces admins into a self-preservation. Like if you have to go opt in, you can always just pretend you didn't know about it. If they have to actually opt out of security, they have to explain that decision when something goes wrong. Yes, yeah. When when I was uh, working at Telstra, um, that was the best excuse. Like someone said, "Who did this change? Like who rolled it out? Like where is the planning and all the comps?" And I said, "Like that Microsoft did it." So <laughs> <laughs> the, the blame goes off you as the admin trying to push the security bolt up <laughs> the chain. Yeah. But if you are working in these products every day, it is definitely worth it to keep track of where the product goes and what things are coming and what features are being enabled that you could maybe opt in or opt out of. Um, because there are things, if you just never check, I remember this happened to me a couple of times, there'll be a new option in exchange um, online that you need to like make a decision about as a business. Do you want to enable it? Do you want to not enable it? Yes, yeah. So the message center is the central place that we expect all the admins to be looking at. And um, that's sometimes people miss it. If you're in the identity space, you're not really looking in the message center. But uh, we try to keep it simple and say, just go there. That's like the one place that everyone should be looking and reviewing the changes that are coming. Uh, so that's that's my tip for the admins. That is a good tip that I should have used back then. But I'm so quick to like overread and skipping. Oh, I know where I'm going. I'm just going <laughs> to click right here. <laughs> good advice. Now, we've talked about some of your cool projects, and I want to get into this little intersection with PowerShell that we have. And we've actually mentioned you a few months ago on the podcast when we were talking to Fred because you have a very cool Azure AD PowerShell to Graph PowerShell Script Converter. So Azure AD PS, that's no longer a thing. People should move over to Graph PS. And what does this converter help solve? Yes, so the Azure AD PowerShell module, uh, we've extended the timeline. It's set to be uh, deprecated um, in March next year. So we give folks time to move off Azure AD PowerShell. So Azure AD PowerShell, uses something called Azure AD Graph, which was sort of like our early 2000s, very first version of Graph. And it, it was only focused on Azure AD APIs at the time. So before Microsoft Graph was a thing, you would have each product have their own sort of API endpoint and you need to do SharePoint stuff with SharePoint and Exchange. And there used to be all these different endpoints. Um, so we announced and launched the Microsoft Graph, which would be like one API, you get one access token, and you can use it with all of the different services, which simplified things for devs, because before that you need to get a token, sign in, sometimes you know you need to sign in multiple times to do something because you need to get users from one place, you need to then call into SharePoint, and you need to do Teams stuff to a different place. 
uh, it was really complicated when you had to cross products and do things. So Azure AD Graph was created in that world and it was focused on that. We had an Azure AD PowerShell module for admins, um, which was built by a team, but they've always, that team was always behind because the APIs would come or the functionality would come and there would be no uh, API or PowerShell um, available. So it was always chasing the, the sort of the development team and the features that landed. Like I remember as an admin, when I worked once, we had to uh, set the phone numbers for all of the um, the staff because we were rolling out MFA. So really good <laughs> cross-cutting with that previous story where we were rolling out MFA. We had to put in the phone numbers so people can complete the MFA without having to go and register like individually by themselves in the portal. But there was no API. There was no PowerShell commandlet in Azure AD PowerShell to do that at that time. So me and my colleague, I remember we had like hundreds of users. We were copying and pasting the phone numbers into the portal to put um, to set that all up. Uh, so the portal had the functionality, but the APIs and PowerShell didn't exist. So we moved to this new world with Microsoft Graph PowerShell now, where the APIs are all defined in using an open API spec. And from that, we generate all of the, whether it's PowerShell, whether it's Python, uh, we today, I think, announced GA of the Python SDK for Graph PowerShell. So you pick your favorite language, there is an SDK and an API available, and it's all auto-generated every week. So the day the API lands, you have your favorite language support as well, whether it's C Sharp, Python, PowerShell, uh, Go, um, they have all of this available. The only catch there is it's all auto-generated, so it doesn't do the special things we expect PowerShell admins that uh, PowerShell admins expect, right? Which uh, doesn't exist in like Python and the other worlds. Uh, things like having an object, piping the object through to the next command. Those things don't exist today in Graph PowerShell. And for someone who's coming from PowerShell, it's like, that is 101. I expect it to work. I, I expect to say, get MG user, pipe, and then maybe set their uh, password or the phone number like using a pipe command but unfortunately that's not there in the current version of graph powershell so um, it's a lot of friction for someone who's come from powershell to go like what is this this is not powershell this is just like a bunch of commands that don't make a lot of sense for someone who's come from the powershell well a lot a lot of things i do with powershell what i love powershell about cannot be done using Graph PowerShell. So that's, um, that is a lot of feedback that we hear from the community and we are looking to address it. Um, but yeah, there is that friction. But on the other hand, you get day one support for APIs when they land in PowerShell. It's all auto-generated. So it's sort of like a two-way thing. Like you gain something, you lose something. Uh, the question is whether you gain more than you lost or <laughs> vice versa, but it depends on who you ask. Someone who absolutely needs the API to do stuff uh, for the work that they're doing, they'll say, give me that any day. Like I have, at least I can write the code and do something, although it's not as nice. Um, so that's something we are trying to improve there. So the graph PowerShell convert I wrote helps you take your existing Azure AD PowerShell script, which people have been writing for like a decade or more. They have a whole library of these scripts and you can drop that in and it will help convert. I did that as part of a hackathon um, because before that, 
uh, you have this, we publish a page where you have the old commandlet and the new commandlet. So you need to go look it up and uh, type it in. So all I did is did like an analyzer that says, here's the new command. If the parameters map, I sort of generate the sample code as well. Uh, but if not, you'll most of the time the parameters don't map. So you need to go find what the new parameter is, but at least it gives you a nice way. And that's where Frank did an, a, a better thing where it was not just one script. You can point it at your entire repository of Azure PowerShell scripts um, and his PowerShell module will spit out a full report saying these are all the scripts that are using Azure AD Graph uh, PowerShell and these are the new commandlets that you should use. All right, so, I mean, sounds like they have until March. So if you're using Azure AD PowerShell, yeah, get, get cracking. Yes, yeah, absolutely. If it, For the large organizations, we are helping them. Um, and we have some things in the works to help with the transition as well. I think in the next few months, we'll announce some of those things to uh, to help, you know, the that burden of moving from your, moving Azure, existing Azure departure scripts to use Microsoft Graph. Do you have any Microsoft Graph tips for people who are just kind of getting started with it? Yes, so I, um, there's a video, I think I've done a few presentations on graph uh, tips and tricks on it's on YouTube. I think it's published in a few places. Uh, so I have like 10 tips that I've shared. Um, a lot of them are like ak.ms links, um, but I also have um, ak.ms uh, graph ps, I think it's called. Yeah, no, ak.ms slash graph PowerShell. It's sort of my link tree of um, different links. So all everything related to graph PowerShell. So it's ak.ms slash graph PowerShell. So it points you to the GitHub repository, it points you to the places where you can report issues, uh, points you to some of the tools like what Frank and I built uh, to help with the conversion. So anything to do with graph and PowerShell, you'll find that link over there. Really cool. You seem to be doing a lot in the hackathons because I, I saw another one of your projects was also the result of a hackathon. Yes, yeah. So because you have your day-to-day -day work, and at Microsoft we have different types of hackathons over time. So for me, it's a time to like stop what I'm doing, take about a week, work with a large uh, like people who I would never get a chance to work with um, from different parts of the world, and build something. Uh, co collaboratively with them. So yeah, few a lot of my projects that I've published, they actually came from hackathons. Um, and that's it's a good way to try something new, work with new people, um, and you end up learning quite a lot. So every year there is at least one hackathon I try to take part in and, and then publish it out to the rest of the world. So were you into PowerShell at Telstra, your previous job? Yes, that's where I basically, uh, I mean, I've followed it since it was Monad at the time. I'm, I was a, I'm a .NET dev, so that's my whole .NET thing. And Monad being a .NET thing was very interesting to me. But initially, I was like coming in as a .NET dev. It was like everything was different. So for a programmer getting into PowerShell, it's like this, it doesn't feel like a programming thing, but it's doing some programming things. So... Um, and I always preferred to write for loops as opposed to the whole 
pipe and the percentage and even to this day i i don't remember the the exact like using the symbols to doing the piping right <laughs> the, for each object yeah the for each object so i prefer writing and when they added for each in the in powershell that was like okay now this is a lot better uh, because i can write it more in sort of a program the way the programmers think um but i the other way is cool right and i i'm not a person who writes in that way with lots of piping and uh, like i it it feels like it's a spell like an incantation someone does <laughs> to make powershell yeah. some crazy things <laughs> um and i always go scratching my head like what what's this like how does it work what's it uh, what's happening here um but yeah i as a dev it's a bit of a friction coming in because calling a function the like even to this day i get confused with you know having the parentheses or not and when to have the comma or not for the parameters to go in and half the time i put in the comma when it shouldn't be there or i put the or i don't put the comma when it's needed and uh, get very interesting results so um I, i i never formally learned powershell so uh, you, yeah even to this day i learn a lot from people like justin roth and all of these other mvps and watch the sessions trying to get a little bit of even what, <laughs> what they're sharing a, a little known fact about the comma placement within powershell is it doesn't matter how good you are you're actually wrong 75% of the time it's not even a 50-50 coin toss <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah the functions they just do your head in as as a dev who's coming in uh, calling a function i even if you now if you ask me and if my life depended on it on it i wouldn't know do i need parentheses when i'm calling this thing or not? <laughs> so you have an entre explorer project what's that yes. about that was another hackathon so um <laughs> one of my like the first few ones so we but be like you have you put in a lot of things into Azure PowerShell everyone has Azure AD right or Enterprise now uh, you have all of your users you have all of the various different settings that you have so one of my customers did this thing where he was doing a cleanup and he went and deleted a group that was there is like it's not needed and he deleted the group and then realized that group was important it was used in a bunch of different apps and the people like didn't have access and it was not working and he was like how do i restore this um and at that time there wasn't a restore functionality so and he didn't know who the members were who were in that group in in that production system uh so he came to me and i said the only way is to go through your, your audit logs and see who got added in over time or who got removed and sort of create that picture um and i thought like that should be a better way to at least you know have a copy of how your tenant looked at that time so there are some commercial products from partners uh, and that's when we built this thing where like we have all this power graph powershell where you can get all of the different objects and settings um and i thought let me just put that all out into a json file now there is an awesome project called the m365dsc the D- decide state config um where there's a whole team working around doing a dsc for graph so you can do things like tenant drift um uh, with all that except i found that you couldn't get you couldn't visually see what what was in the groups uh, or some of those settings just from that output uh, and i wanted to have sort of like a version history of your tenants where you can just take a snapshot every day chuck that into the 
into a Git repository and you can see from day to day, how did this group look? Like, you know, who, who was added, who was removed and other settings like conditional access policies and other security settings you can see over time uh, when they changed. So my thinking was a bit different with the exporter and that's what we build there. There's no way to import things in. It's uh, just only a one way. It's a lot harder to build something that writes back and puts everything back. So this project was just exporting and uh, putting that JSON output. So it creates the entire JSON of your tenant config uh, and putting that into source control. Uh, the MT65DSC is an awesome project where it's not just Entra, it's like all of Microsoft 365 and you can have a decide state config, like bring another tenant up to the same config if you want and so on. Are things that you're using with the M65DSC going to work when DSC hits 3.0, which I think they said was coming soon? I'm not 100% across that project, but I'm I'm sure they, they are aware of that. And I, I saw the DSC, yeah, there's lots of cool stuff coming uh, with V3. Looking forward to that. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> we talked to the PM over there, and yeah, it's... Exciting stuff. It's a good time to be in DSC. Yes, it is, right? Uh, there's, uh, like, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how customers can use it. And because it's not even specific, right? It's like, a, it just takes it out of, like, it's its its own thing now, DSC, not just PowerShell. Now, obviously, I'm not going to ask any specifics, but um, in your role, and I guess just on the Entre team, I assume that metrics and you know, seeing what people are using certain features is super helpful. Do you find yourself kind of going through that, or is that like broken down in reports, or what's up with that? Oh yes, yeah. Like Microsoft, as you might have heard, we are all metrics driven, so you can't make a decision. Like a PM can't say, "Hey, I think this feature will be useful. I'm just going to, uh, you know, build it, or you know, get folks to build this feature." Um, you really need metrics to show your argument of like as one of the things. It's not the only thing. It's one of the big things to go through the metrics and call out what's happening, tell that story and and try to improve things. It's similar when we deprecate things, you would have seen, we sort of push, there's always this thing to push features, uh, deprecations out. And a lot of that is, those decisions are driven by metrics as well um, to see like how we help people move things across update our documents to help them with the migration. So with with all of that metrics for everything, whether you're an author writing content on Microsoft Learn, whether you're helping customers turn different features on or building new features, uh, everyone needs to know. And this day and age, it's Custo. Like, even if you're a PM, you need to know to write at least a little bit of Custo to go and query different things. And um, yeah, so that, that's always there. A lot of the, and depending on where you are in engineering, you don't get access to a lot of the actual specific data. It's more like anonymous, anonymized uh, information. Cool. It's cool that you can use Custo to query it. Um, so, what's it like working on such a heavily used product? Has that been an adjustment for you? I mean, I imagine you were a lot less in the public light in your last role, and it seems like you've really done well and embraced it. But what's that been like? Yeah, so I mean, it's like ordering pizza, right? For <laughs> for millions of users, um, you like any setting you do, it's going to cause friction. And uh, most of the time in the past at Entra, we've been 
building new features are not really looking at like if it's a good thing if it's important we build it but what we've noticed is that all these features that are built but majority like 90% of the customers are not have not turned it on have not used it so we there are things they can do to protect their tenant because ajd and tridi has existed now for like well over, almost like close to like two decades um, right so there's been a lot of history lots of legacy settings and it's not easy for us to turn things on by default like you could be a large enterprise with you know a, a half a million customers you could be a small company with five people in the org and it's very different the way you need to um, handle those different extremes so yeah it, it takes um, time and our focus has now been to try to get people to turn on or push out changes that turn things on for them like what we spoke about earlier uh, but yeah it's it's a as jd seen for me i feel personally is in a niche space because um, it's used by everyone some people live only in the azure world some people live only in the microsoft 365 world some people might be not even in any of the microsoft world but they have this thing called azure ad or intra id and they use that you might be a dev who's writing an app uh, who needs to get a service principle to do work so there's a whole cross cutting audience that specific whereas if you are in like teams then you are a user of teams or an admin of teams and it's just only that but um, almost everyone touches intra id azure ad at, in some way either as a user or as an admin so things like mfa impact everyone right and uh, it's it's a very interesting a unique place to be in and and a, a place where i can help out a lot of people as well yeah your efforts scale pretty well but i will say it is so impressive to see how many projects you have and you said in one weekend you whipped together the cmd.ms <laughs> it's cool to see yeah it's it's fun like it it builds up over time and you wouldn't believe like almost all of this is like what i've done since i joined microsoft about uh i think it's now 3 3 and a half years so all of my tools i have on my website meril.net um i have uh, like in the about me i sort of give a summary of all of the, the different things i've built um yeah it's uh but they, like you just build a new something new once or one or new products a year and it it adds up <clears throat> it's still cool. So take me into that process though. So you have a good idea. We'll use cmd.ms, the link kind of connector. And how do you go about it? Do you just start diving in? You know what you want to do? Do you have to write anything down? Do you plan anything? Pseudo code? How do you approach that project? It depends each project has been different, but usually something is brewing in my mind like I um I'm I go running uh, and that's where I like don't have any distractions so that's my my mind sort of can think things and I'm like okay this problem came maybe I'm always looking for how I can solve some some problem that happens so almost everything that that's on my list of tools is related to that some problem I had and I start thinking how can I do this and usually I spend a few weeks thinking of you know this would be cool and so on and then all of a sudden things fall into place like I find some free time and uh, okay let me have this idea test it out and how do I implement it then it goes into how do you build something whether like you know javascript and I was 
initially hesitant, like everything I have is open source about putting my source code out because like I don't write unit tests uh, a lot I, I or much at all. And people try to get everything perfect before they put it out because someone's going to look at your code and criticize you. But I write the sloppiest code. If, if you go to any of my code, it's like uh, no unit tests, a uh, lot of bad practices, um, things that I would like to improve. But what I, I've got over this thing of having the perfect code, thinking that you know everyone's going to be looking at it and nitpicking things. Um, in honesty, very few people do. Like if it works, people find it useful, they use it. Um, and so th those were things that held me back before. I was like, if I publish something in the in on GitHub, um, people are going to judge my me based on my code, and I would never do things like, oh, you need to have tests and spend a lot of write, time writing tests, and I never then end up publishing what I've built. Um, so with these, I'm now like I just set a deadline and say, okay, like I just need to get this working, and and publish it. So that's the process I go through. Some things like cmd.ms, it's like just in a in a day i have a working version in a few hours time i had that in a working version format and it i spent more time building the website and making making it look nicer with react and doing the search and stuff it looks nice core, i'll tell you what yeah. it looks good <laughs> the the core of just uh, it doing the redirect that was just working in within an hour like that was uh, like the the main part of it and then putting on this the ui and the final touches took uh, a bit more time, but uh, yeah, and a lot of my projects now I actually build it off what I already have. So if you see the one similar to that called akasearch.net, so this is where there are a lot of ak.ms links. Like I've shared a few already today, and you would forget like what like what was that ak link? I remember it, and there's no central place. So I created this akasearch.net where you can contribute your own ak.ms links, uh, like community contributed all the public ones, and you can go and search for like PowerShell, it'll show all the PowerShell related uh, ak.ms links, and anyone can contribute to it. I've made it so that you just need to fill in a form and there's an automation that goes and updates the site with the with the new thing. Uh, that's pretty cool. Because oh, <laughs> I, see, I see one. Yeah, and at the back end, I published how that works. I actually, those scripts, it uses PowerShell to uh, update GitHub. So there's, uh, GitHub has some nice APIs. Um, so the actual deployment, updating and things. Um, I don't run any website for the, like, it basically, AK Search cost me $0 to run. Um, it's all running on GitHub. And uh, if you see in the build scripts, I have a PowerShell script that basically, goes checks if the if that uh, link that you submitted is actually valid or not and calls the github api to add that uh, stuff in so it's uh, and there's a github graph powershell thing which is really nice so yeah i use powershell a lot you wouldn't think powershell is involved in that website but that's sort of what's running the <laughs> website and as it should be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, we've asked a lot of good questions today, but Jordan, I think I think we time, might need to crank it up a little bit. It's here. time for the serious questions now. <laughs> are, are you ready for the common parameters? No commas, I promise. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's one time something went wrong on the job, and uh, what did you learn from it? 
or this was back in the early, in the late 90s um deleted the production database as <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not a minor one so yes, what did you what did you learn from deleting the database <laughs> that yeah i need to check and double check uh where i am running the script uh, you know you think you are in the test environment and you run the statement um but yeah you just you just become so alert you become aware of everything <laughs> you don't need coffee for the rest of that day um but yeah i I've, i've learned the key thing and i do that today now is to make sure i have different environments and that's one of my big things with the devops i'm pushing a lot on intra intra devops it's new to it admins to have different environments and use powershell and things in in those environments as they configure those changes so you'll be hearing a lot about me and intra devops in the future related to that so i try to take that learning and apply it from that point onwards uh to help more people avoid those sorts of uh production changes looking forward to that i like it all right common parameter 2 are you ready for this one it gets more difficult <laughs> with everything you know now what's one thing that you would tell your younger self when you're first getting started um i would say don't think a lot about what others think of what you're doing um that will definitely just hold you back go ahead and do what you want to do and you'll you'll learn a lot more that way than not doing it that is hard advice to follow to because you can intellectually understand that and still struggle with the emotional part of it like that is uh if you you got to get both sides it's not easy it's it's not easy definitely it's um, because there there are like we spoke about there are always people who know more than you um who might say that that's stupid like uh, what are you saying that um but if you hold yourself back it's you who loses out and uh, like i'm if you see me in person i'm actually like an introvert um online it doesn't might not seem like that on my twitter and linkedin profile but in person i end up i go to a party and i i just don't talk to anyone i, I wait for someone to come talk to me and uh, i prefer just being someone's got to hold up the wall <laughs> all right last one are ready this one is i mean i was, i used to joke about it but this is a real difficult one what are you, what are your three favorite modules oh <laughs> this, yeah all right it's difficult yeah. so my first one is easy it's msal.ps um it lets you do authentication it built by one of my best friends uh, jason thompson unfortunately it's not sort of maintained at the moment um so but, but that's that's one that you can use to get a microsoft graph token and use it with everything um so that's my first one msal.ps um my next one what do i have uh, oh my posh uh, that's my next one every new device i go to i need that i need to set it up uh, and uh, thanks a lot to i forget how do i pronounce his name i don't i'll butcher his name if i pronounce it um, i think it's dobler it it ends with dobler so he uh, has his oh my posh um, module that's my second one the ps readline one it's now built in that's my like third favorite like when people see all that put together they're like what what are you doing with your console like it looks so <laughs> much more usable so 
yeah, those are my three favorite. Those are fantastic answers. P- I think PS Redline is almost a, a guarantee anywhere. Like everyone, everyone loves PS Redline. Yes, it's amazing. I, I mean, everyone is a very bold statement. There's always outliers, but it's very, it's very popular. I love it. Yeah, once you use it, you're like, how did I even live in this world without it? <laughs> it does make everything better. I don't know if you're aware of this, Lamaro, but you have been in the presence of a celebrity. Oh, have I? The last hour, oh, yeah. yeah, you have. Yes, yes. <laughs> I thought it was, uh, you, I, I know I, you, I, I was in the presence of gold medalists. Gold medalists, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Curling still is better than pickleball. <laughs> but, but Andrew, he is the world's foremost authority on shilling. He's so good at shilling that if he shilled an idea to Microsoft, they wouldn't even bother with metrics. They just run with it. That's how good he is. And we get a front row seat to just watch a master of his craft just spin gold. Nice. Take it away, Andrew. Thank you so much, Jordan. You know, my mic disconnected during that, but I'm here. I assume you said great things, as you always do. And I don't want to say it's rare that I leave a podcast interview feeling inspired, but I'd say today I feel particularly inspired after this. So, Meryl, thank you so much for joining us. And audience, you were here too. Thanks for listening. We had a great time. While we're at it, let's get a like, comment, and a subscription going on if you're on YouTube. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. We're worldwide. We're global. International icons. You can connect with us in the PowerShell channel of the PDQ Discord, discord.gg slash PDQ. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, we are at PowerShell Pod. I'm Andrew Plotek. That's DevOps Jordan. And Meryl, people want to tap in with you, see what's going on. Where can we find you on the internet? Um, I'm a lot on LinkedIn these days. People are not happy with X Twitter, but Twitter and LinkedIn is where I'm all most of the time at. I'm also on Mastodon as well. So if you go to Meryl.net, all of my social links are all there. So feel free to follow me and me would love to connect with you awesome thank you so much for joining us cool thanks a lot for having me it's been fun i like the hour went by so quickly i didn't realize it was already times up thank you very much thanks for listening to the powershell podcast the powershell podcast is a pdq production making device management simple secure and pretty damn quick